handsome and beautiful people. We have one more group of people to pray for. Hands up if you're in year 12. <laughs> okay, we've got one in here. Ben, the people around Bella, please lay their hands on Bella. Uh, yes. Uh, year 12, the year 12 students are doing their, about to do their HSC. Yeah, Ruben is around here somewhere, but he's, I don't know where he is. We did get to pray for him this morning, but it's always good to receive a double dose. Anyway, we'll pray for all the year 12 students, not just, not just Bella and Ruben, but all the year 12 students in Griffith that are about to go through their HSE. Who knows, it can be a stressful time in a person's life, and, and there can be a lot of pressures, so let's just pray for them right now. Lord, we lift up every student to you that is in year 12 that is um, undergoing their HSE, or about to go in, Lord God, we thank you for the anxieties to cease in the name of Jesus. We thank you for, for depression to cease in the name of oh, Jesus. Amen. Lord, all the pressures that are, that are coming on these young people, we just declare the fruitfulness of your word. We declare your life. We declare your love. We declare your truth right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord God. Bring to remembrance the things they've been learning. Thank you, God, for their study patterns. Um, Jesus, really speak to them and encourage them during this time and um, really encourage them while they're through this, Father. When they think, wow, I should be stressing out, but I'm just not. May that be a testament to your glory. And Lord, for the ones that don't know you, may they continue to turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I am going to talk about, I mean, what are you passionate about? more than anything, but I've got, I've got a few things here. So the title of my message is called Dream, Passion, Fear, and Christ. And it won't be too hard to remember because it is also my four points. So there you go. I've already given you a summary of my sermon. I'll probably sit down now. Now, who here has hobbies in their lives? Who has something they enjoy doing in their spare time? Most young people I ask, I may have said this to you before, I say, what do you enjoy doing? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Okay, well, what do you do in your spare time? What do you enjoy doing? And they're like, well, I like eating. That's not a hobby. You know, that's, you'll die if you don't eat. Or, or they say, well, I like sleeping. That's not a hobby. You're not even conscious. Um, the most common one I probably get is Netflix. Netflix is not a hobby in Jesus' name. It's, it's not productive. Get outside, you know. Go kick a ball. I don't care. You know, a hobby should be creative or it should be uh, productive for your health or, or something that should be beneficial but Netflix is not a hobby I do not accept it don't ever say you Netflix is your hobby okay I have hobbies I probably have too many hobbies sometimes when I have spare time and I don't really need to be doing anything I think I could either do this or that or that and then I have so much trouble deciding I can't really I just sort of sit there and never really make a decision but my hobbies are not what I'm passionate about I would not die for any one of my hobbies. I would not die for my skateboard. Sometimes I've probably come close, but I would not choose to die for my skateboard. I would not die for my fishing rod. I would sooner throw it in the channel just fishing than, than actually be passionate enough to die for it. Um, I have a compound bow at home. It's not one, but one of my friends graciously lent it to me. I really love going in the backyard. I don't know if I'm really allowed to do it, this is recording too. All right. Anyway, I don't know. If, uh, so I go into the backyard. I like to get my bow out. I, I made this little makeshift target out of a mattress from one of my swags and some pieces of cardboard. And I've drawn like a little target on there. I like to go out and, and, and shoot at it from like 20 yards away. And I like to play around with the bow and make it sort of fit to, to me because I'm, I'm learning about it and I'm becoming a crack shot. You can sort of see the bruise on my arm. But this is, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Um, I really love doing that, but it's not my passion. It's just a hobby. So what am I passionate about? This was actually a really tough question for me to answer because I had a lot of trouble pinning down what I'm passionate about. It's not that I'm not passionate about anything, but I think sometimes I, I can be passionate maybe about too many things. But, but this message, I, I don't want this so much to be about me. I don't even necessarily want it to be about you. I want to ignite you know, whatever your passion is, and if you don't have one, I want you to discover one. But I also want to talk about uh, your dream, your God-given dream. Your dream is not your dream. Your dream is not about you. My dream is not about me. It's about what, how I want to give God glory and what I want to see happen. So what's your dream? It should involve God. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so hopefully I can give you enough direction where if you don't have a dream, the kind of dream that I'm talking about, you can get in your prayer closet with Jesus and say, come on God, what, what do you want me to do? Like, how can I serve you? How can I bring you glory? Come on. Okay, are you with me? Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> when I got given this message, right, my passion just, Steve said, the first thing that comes to your mind, okay, as preachers, you know, you're not meant to go to your favorite verses or your favorite this or your favorite that very often. You're supposed to preach from the whole word of God. You know, that makes sense. And I agree with that. And I try to do that. But today I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to go to all my favorite stuff. Because if it's about my passion, then it's about my favorite thing to do. So I, I figured out, I don't just want to go there because I want to talk about me, but I figured out my passion involves my favorite Bible verses. It involves my favorite Bible story and it involves my favorite Bible character. I never made that connection before. So if you're struggling to figure out what you're passionate about, think about your favorite Bible verse or your favorite Bible character. It may just help you discover it. And you're not allowed to say Jesus because he's everybody's favorite. That's cheating. Shane Greg, wherever you are. Okay. We're going to read some scripture from my favorite Bible story. Okay. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 14. I do apologize. Oh, that's off. Can you just go to the next slide, please, Joanne? Oh, yeah. Same as before. You just... Follow through it. I'll read from this. This says 1 Samuel 16. I'm very sorry, it's not 1 Samuel 16, it's 1 Samuel 14. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, but it is also on the screen, and we're going to read through it. So, Jonathan, son of Saul, is my favorite Bible character. And this chapter is one of the reasons why. We're going to go through it, and when we're reading it, I really want you to think about what Jonathan's heart in this is. Like, put yourself in his shoes. And imagine what it's like to be him. Because at this stage, Israel has been overtaken by the Philistine army. And so the Philistine army, they're, they're occupying the land. And they've taken all of the Israelites' weapons. There's only two swords in all of Israel. And King Saul has one, and his son Jonathan has one. Nobody else has a sword. You know, If, if, if they want swords, they've got to go to the Philistines and say, or, or if they need weapons of any kind, and they need to say something like, I need to plow my field. Can you give me something? <laughs> like a, what is it, a scythe or something to plow my field? Like, you know, it's, it, the situation's pretty bad. But they're also looking for Israelites and killing them. And, and, you know, so everyone's in hiding. It's not a good situation. So this is where we're starting from. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including, I'm going to try and pronounce it like the Greek, because whenever you pronounce it in English, it's always wrong. No matter how right you think it is, it's always wrong. So, I mean, not the Greek, the Hebrew. I looked it up yesterday. Achiha is actually how you say that name. And Achitu and Ichabod was Ichabod. Yeah, I'm not going to continue. Uh, Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas, uh, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So he's just, he's done a run. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the other of the name Sene. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Gil. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. How cool is that? He wants to go and fight a bunch of dudes. He doesn't know how many dudes he's going to fight. He just wants to fight them. And he's saying, God will deliver us. How amazing is that? Would you guys be able to turn off the stage lights, please? Thank you. And his armor bearer said to him, do, that is in, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. I just want to stop there for a moment. And 
explain what this faith looks like that Jonathan has. <laughs> so what he's saying is, is they're going to come out from the trees and there's a cliff right in front of them and there's a Philistine camp up there with a bunch of soldiers. And when the Philistines see them, if they say, stay there, we're going to come down to you and we're going to get it on, we're going to fight, then we'll stay here and we will fight. But if they say to us, come up here and fight us, you know, we're going to, we're going to kill you, you know, if they ask us to climb this cliff and then fight them, we know we've won. How many people know that's not strategic? <laughs> Has anyone seen The Princess Bride? What a good movie. The guy at the top was very gracious for the guy that was climbing up the cliff after him. He gave him a good rest. I don't think these Philistines did that. Philistines weren't very nice. It's not very strategic to climb a cliff and then fight a bunch of people that outnumber you. You know, like, you're worn out from the cliff, clearly. And they're waiting for you at the top. They're going to kill you. Like, But Jonathan's saying, if that's what happens, we know we've won. Like, he's asking for something impossible. That's what he's asking of God. If an impossible situation happens, we know it's from God. So he doesn't want to rely on his own strength at all. How amazing is that? Okay. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes that they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. <laughs> it's exceedingly British in there. <laughs> Them picking a fight. It's, I, I don't know if the Bible left out what words they used or expletives. Or... And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. Woo! And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men in a half an acre. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Now we go down to verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews had been with the Philistines before that time and had gone up with them into the camp, even though even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth or Ven. What an amazing story. Does that not inspire you? Sometimes we look at a picture that God gives us, something really amazing, and we think, oh, I've got to do all of that, and we get really daunted by it. We think it's a really big job. But Jonathan didn't do all that himself. He still did something pretty cool, but Jonathan was just a spark that created a fire. He didn't, he didn't make the whole thing happen. God made it all happen. And it's amazing when we think, we, we know what needs to happen. I mean, how many people do you think were hiding in their homes and hiding in their holes, sorry, in their holes, thinking, I want Israel to be free? Like, oh God, I, I really don't want to be sitting in here living on scraps like the Philistines have got control of our country. Like, what are you going to do about it, God? Or, or what can we do? Like, it seems like an impossible situation. Everyone's thinking about it, but only one dude does something about it, right? And we think that, oh, this is such a, a, a big thing and nobody's doing anything about it. Doesn't anybody care? But then one person does something and then God breathes on it and then everyone goes, oh, something's happening. And then people start to jump on board. Have we seen that before? We've seen it with different things, haven't we? That's what tends to happen. It just takes one person to light a match and then everybody else goes nuts and jumps on board and God just does an amazing work. And the Lord saved a whole nation in one day. A single day, God saved the nation. Do you think Jonathan was thinking about this for a while? 
Or do you think he just thought about it on the spot? Oh, I just feel like I want to pick a fight with a bunch of people. You know, like, Jonathan's been dreaming about this. He's been thinking about this for a while. And I guarantee this isn't the first time he's practiced his sword play. He's been practicing for a while, and he's been dreaming about this. He wants Israel to be free. It's just he's got a sword, and his dad's got a sword. Nobody else does, which means the responsibility lies on them too. His dad's clearly not doing anything, even though he's got a whole bunch of soldiers with him. I need to do something. Can you sense his fire? Can you sense his heart? Okay, so he's got a dream. I want to talk about my dream for a second. Not because I want to talk about my dream to you, but because I want you to think about your dream. Okay, I want you to think about the big picture. And your big picture doesn't involve only you. And it's not about you at all. Okay. My dream. Point one. So I've got three points in this one. So, to see Griffith churches full of people who love Jesus, with more churches popping up, and who all enjoy strong fellowship with each other. Does that sound pretty good? That's one of my dreams for Griffith. So, if there's an empty space in here, it's because someone out there hasn't filled it yet. That's the way I think about it. And I'm not expecting everyone to just walk into church. That's not how it works. We've got to walk out of church and talk to people. So this involves preaching the gospel as well. But I want to that preaching the gospel to people is not the ultimate goal in itself. The ultimate goal is that everybody worships God and that everybody gets to know God more and more every single day. That's my heart. That's what I want to see happen. I want to see this church full. I want to see that church full and that church full and that church full. I want the churches to be so full that they can't contain all the people because still more people are coming in. So there needs to be more churches and people meeting together in hopes. And I want the presence of God to be really strong on this whole place. I want the worship team to all not be able to stand like we had. Awesome worship this morning. Teresa and the team are brilliant. I love worshipping here. But I want new things to happen. I want God to do things we haven't seen before. I want God to do amazing things. I want the churches to have strong fellowship with each other. Not just that we would have strong fellowship in here. I want that. But I want this church to have strong fellowship with that church and that church with that church. And I want everybody like we're all one church. We're one body of Christ. Jesus isn't coming back for Pentecostalism. He's coming back for his whole bride. He's coming back for the whole church. He's coming back for every movement that represents him. Yeah? So I want the church in Griffith to be very, very strong. And I want everybody in Griffith to love one another. Okay. Are you with me? Come on. All right. I want churches in Griffith sending out missionaries to other parts of Australia and overseas. I want, I want someone sent out down the road. There and there and there. I want someone sent out to Victoria, like whatever, wherever there is not a representative, wherever there is a need in Australia, I want someone from Griffiths to go there. Wherever there is a need outside of Australia, I want someone to go there. Whether it's to another church or it's a place that hasn't even touched the rest of civilization before, I don't care. I want representatives of Jesus to go there. I even want missionaries to come to Griffith and find a place of rest because they've been worn out or something like that. I would love to see, like, we started a school, right? That was a 10-year dream, 11-year dream, 12-year dream, something like that. It was over a decade that, that the leadership had been thinking about it and really wanted it and been praying about it, and finally it's happened. And it started small, but it grows. We don't despise the small beginnings. I would also love to see, like, missions classes. I would love to see, um, like, regular Bible college classes. We already get a bit of that. I want to see more. I want to see classes for like worship and, and just all kinds of crazy things. I, I, want to see, I want to see Christian education really, really take a foothold in Griffith because people need to know about Jesus. Okay. Whoops. Okay. Now this third point, students and teachers in every school praying for people and showing the love of Christ with their colleagues and friends. This one's sort of more particular to me. I could have just said, I want revival everywhere. Well, I don't know how effective I'm going to be at starting revival anywhere because I'm not in the business sector. I'm not working in charity organisations or for PCYC. Or I'm, I'm not working in the hospital. There's a place that I go, and that's the school, so that's where my passion lies. That's part of my dream. 
You know, but, but God has given you something different to what he's given me. Maybe for some of you, your dream is in the schools. Mine is in the school. But maybe your dream is somewhere else because you're involved in it or you've got a heart for it. Let's really flesh these things out with God. So the reason this is sort of particular to me, obviously I work with youth, you know, and I do scripture in schools, but remember when Steve first passed the youth group over to me, God gave me a vision of not what happened here in youth group, gave me a vision of something that happened in the schools. And what I saw was a picture of, like, it was lunchtime, it was in the playground, and there were, there was, there was kids who knew Jesus, right? And they were praying for kids who don't know Jesus over here. And over here there was, you know, kids sitting down counselling other kids because something happened in their family. You know, being, being shepherds, being, being family. <laughs> you know, I, I saw different things happening in the playground. I saw teachers praying for each other. Like, that's not youth. That's not my area. They're still in the school. You know, I, I, I saw the Spirit of God in the school, and everyone was doing different things, but everyone was ministering to people that didn't know God, or even people that did know God, they were ministering to them too. Like, they were being family. They were being church in school. That's, that's what I saw. I didn't see a picture here in the church. I saw a picture in the school. So that's why it's really special to me. That's part of my dream. That's what I want to see. So this is, this is my dream for Griffith. What's yours? Have a think about it. In a sentence, if you wanted to sum these up, I would say that my deepest desire is for the church to recognize who she really is. The bride of Christ. That's that's my dream. Like, can you imagine if all across the world the church just recognized who she really was right now? I think Jesus would come back in 2020 because the whole world would have heard about God by now. The whole world would be evangelized. Isn't that an amazing thought? What if I'm a spark to start something and other people jump on board and God just does something amazing? Okay. What is a dream? It's the result of your commitment to your passion and then it's God meeting you halfway. That's really all it is. So if you don't have a passion, you have a dream. If you have a dream, you'll, you'll find out what your passion is because your passion will just be whatever contributes to that dream. So that's my dream. So I want to talk about passion now. If your dream is the what, then your passion is the how. How am I going to get there? Okay. <laughs> Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. People that really focus, people that get really passionate about something, get good about something. And those people are the ones that do amazing things. If, if, if you want to do it half-baked, you'll get half-baked customers. <laughs> That's just the way it is. If you go full-on with it, you'll get serious customers. If you want to take God seriously with your passion, he'll take you seriously with it. Come on. Let's get focused. If God has given you something, anything, a talent, a desire, then he's given you an opportunity to be faithful and then fruitful with it. Okay. So Jonathan had a sword. You could probably say it's because he had privilege because he was the son of the king. Ultimately, I guess I would just say that God trusted him with it because he knew that Jonathan was going to do something. Because he could see Jonathan's heart and he could see his passion. So he takes his skill and he combines it with a huge faith and God meets him according to his devotion and his obedience. And he delivers a nation in a day. So what's what's my passion? I found that I seem to be passionate, yeah, I seem to be passionate about anything that contributes to my vision. I used to be passionate about um, evangelism, right? I, I would love talking about Jesus to people that didn't know Jesus. That was my passion. My brain was really small. And it still is small. It's getting bigger in Jesus' name. My head's getting bigger. But <laughs> um, I'm really just passionate about the gospel. 
But how many people know that it's not just non-Christians that need the gospel, it's Christians as well. Jesus said make disciples. Evangelism is a style of discipleship. You're revealing Jesus to someone who doesn't know him. But to someone who does already know Jesus, you're teaching them to become more dependent on Jesus instead of you. That's discipleship. They're both discipleship. That's my passion. I, I used to think the gospel revolved around evangelism. It doesn't. The gospel is so much bigger. Evangelism is a facet of the gospel. The gospel is alive in every single one of us. And the more we submit to God and the more we learn about God, that's the gospel coming alive more and more in us every single day. Amen? Okay. So if my desire is for the church to realize who she is, then I need to realize who I am in Christ. Because I'm part of the church. I realized a while ago at youth group that I couldn't just... I couldn't just tell kids to pray for each other and expect them to catch it. Like, we see miracles at youth, right? We see them. You know, people pray for each other. It's really cool. But I can't expect them to become passionate about revealing Jesus to each other if I'm not passionate about it away from youth group. When I'm by myself and I'm not with anybody else, am I... Am I living up to my words? Like, am I practicing what I preach? I, I've got to be honest, I kind of don't like the term evangelism. I don't mind it, but it annoys me because I don't think that, I, I don't know, maybe it daunts me, I'm not really sure, but if I'm going to the shops and I'm going to go shopping, I'm not going to do evangelism. I'm going shopping for goodness sake. I don't want to make it sound spiritual. I'm, I'm going shopping. I'm going to buy some things. But if I can talk to... Talk to someone about Jesus while I'm there. I'm gonna, I want to do it. You know, I don't want to say, I'm going to go and do outreach today. Oh, I'm not. Come on. I'm going to go and have a coffee with someone. Like, chill out. <laughs> That's, I, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. I, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm on a, a glory, glory run or something. And it just kind of scares me when I start to talk about those fancy terms. Like, if, if people want to talk like that, I don't really mind. But I just, I'm going shopping. I'm going to buy some milk. But if I can pray for someone while I'm out, that's what I want to do. But if I don't do that when I'm out there, then it won't become a part of me while I'm here in the church with the youth group. And I can't, I can't expect the youth to catch a bug that I don't have. Okay? Your passion is about you imparting your passion to other people or what God is doing in you. You don't keep it to yourself. If your dream involves just you and God and nobody else, your dream is too small, you need to make it bigger. Because God is all about kingdom. God is all about family. He's all about the church. When individualism is not kingdom, that's me trying to maintain control, and I end up trying to turn God into my personal puppet. But when I'm working with other people, I've got to trust God. Because <laughs> people make things messy. I could probably do it twice as good and four times as fast than some young person who, who's doing it for the first time. But then it becomes the me show. It doesn't become about God. And then people start to depend on me and then things start to get weird and yuck and the walls start to close in. And that's when you know God's going to humble you in some horrible way really soon. So it's good to trust in God, not yourself. Okay. How many people experience fear when they go out to, like, when they know they need to talk to someone about Jesus or pray for someone? I know we've all felt it before. Who here has felt fear before? Okay. Some people say to me, Jamie, how do you just do it? I love how you do it. How do you do it? How do you just go up and talk to people and not worry about what they think? I do sometimes. Quite often, actually. I remember when I was in high school. So when I was in high school, most of you know, I was an alco. I drank a lot. I was so full of fear that I could not talk about Jesus to anybody unless I was drunk. That was the only time I would talk about Jesus. How many people know that's dishonoring? <laughs> that's not a very good witness. I was what you would call a hypocritical Christian. Okay? 
But I was so full of fear that I couldn't talk about Jesus if I was sober. And I didn't have some mad revelation where God just turned my life upside down and changed me all in one go. I didn't do a John Bevere and have a four-day fast and get set free of something and now sort of, I'm, I'm going great guns. I'm not like that. And, and those things are really cool and, and we all sort of hope for those, but, but it's also good to trust God in the process and to persevere and to learn along the way and be changed by God in our character instead of just being set free from something because we don't know how to deal with it. So I had to learn to overcome step by step, painstaking step, and the amount of times I go, oh, oh gosh, I really messed that up, or, or, you know, oh, I really missed that opportunity because I was afraid, you know, and you learn to step out little bit by little bit, and I've got to be honest, I'm not through it yet. I'm, I'm getting there. But, but I still feel fear sometimes because there's a part of me that's still wrapped up in myself, and, and, and oh, I just want to be comfortable. I'm just going to live in my little Christian bubble. You know, I hate that thought. Who hates that thought? I want, I want to do away with that, so i still got to keep pushing. Okay, what's fear? It's faith in the wrong thing. It, fear is a type of faith. Negative faith, as Steve would call it. It's positive faith and negative faith. Fear is a type of faith. If you're living your life in fear, you are living your life in faith. But it's wrong faith. It's faith in the wrong thing. Real biblical faith says, I trust God to come through. I trust his character. I know that he's more powerful than me. I'm not in control. I'm going to do this, and God is going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. I'm just going to obey God. Because I can't do it. It's impossible. But if I obey God, something amazing is going to happen. But if I'm operating in the faith of fear, then what I'm saying is that could go wrong. I don't know if God's going to come through. Firstly, doubt God. Well, we went through this during the Transform series. I don't know if God's going to come through. So this is probably going to go wrong. And they're probably going to get angry with me or offended or upset. And that's going to make me feel like a failure or that's going to make me feel bad. Like we're coming back to our feelings. It's all about me. Whenever you give in to yourself, or you put yourself as the priority, the, the, the prime motivation, fear will always be the result. Fear is the fruit of self. Amen? Okay. So if I have faith in God, I'm not acting in fear. Fear is not of God. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. God is love. But perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. I fear the repercussions of this situation going wrong. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. If I'm still feeling fear, okay, I might have some positive faith in my life going on, but I've got some negative faith too, and I need to learn to walk in this more and trust in God more. And this will overcome this. I can spend all the time with God in the world, but if I don't learn to obey God, I'm not going to mature. Okay. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. How is it that God lives me and I can still be so full of doubt? Like, that confounds me. Does that confound you sometimes? My goodness. We try to rationalize not preaching the gospel to someone or not stepping out. But who knows the gospel is not rational? It's just crazy and it prompts us to do crazy things. But God comes through. So I'm going to share a little bit. <laughs> I've been, you know, sort of doing things the same as, as what I have, right? Like in my Christian faith. I've been ticking all the boxes, you could say, doing all the Christian things. And genuinely pursuing God. You know, for a long time there, I wasn't getting up early in the morning and reading my Bible because I was so tired. Hey, hallelujah, we both get up in the morning now and we read our Bible together and, and we pray together and hey, that's really cool. I'm starting to fast again. Hallelujah. I said this morning, it should be called slow. It sucks. Fasting sucks. Apparently you never get to the stage where it's good. It just sucks. But that's fine. 
I'm putting away physical food so I can enjoy spiritual food. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. Um, you know, like I'm ticking all the boxes. But for some reason I was feeling myself drift away from God. <laughs> like, come on, what have I missed? What am I doing? What's, what's going wrong? I'm doing everything that I've kind of always done. I'm not even really doing anything wrong. Like I'm further ahead in my faith now than I've ever been in my life. You know, I'm asking God often to humble me, and I know the end of that prayer. I know what it looks like. It sucks. I'm asking God to help, to teach me to love Him more, and I'm asking God to reveal Himself more to me, and, and all this stuff. But I'm finding myself drift away from God, and I don't know why. And I said to God, I, I know God doesn't move, it's me who moves, but you know when God kind of feels far away, and you, you don't know what you've done. You know? And I, I said to God, why are you so far away from me? I knew he wasn't, but he felt like he was. I said, why are you so far away from me? And he said, well, Jamie, I am where you want me to be. And that was really convicting. I knew what God meant. You probably don't, because that's all the context I've given you, but you know how in your own relationship, when God says something, you know exactly what he's saying. I knew what God meant. I've been relishing spending time with God, but I haven't been obeying him like I should. I'll tell you why. Who knows? In a small room, a candle is going to be okay. Like if there's a small dark room, no windows, no doors, no nothing, a candle is going to be okay for a while. Or if there's like one window, it's going to be okay until it runs out. Or if it's weak. A candle is going to be okay. But who knows if there's like one tiny little window and there's a huge fire going on in the room, that big fire is not getting enough oxygen, and it's going to burn itself out. How many people get that concept? Okay. So the, the bigger your fire gets, and the only way you get your fire is by spending time with God, reading the Word, praying, worship, spending time with other believers, fasting, like, like all that stuff. Spending time with God, pursuing Christ because you love Him, and because He loves you. The bigger your fire gets, the more oxygen you need, and the brighter you're going to shine. But if you put yourself under a bowl, or you put yourself in a room that's too small for your fire, you're going to snuff yourself out. You're not giving yourself enough oxygen. Obedience is your oxygen. I wasn't being obedient to God in an area of my life, and that was, I'm going to use the word, evangelism, even though I don't like using the word. Because spending time with God in the morning, and like, you know, when you just feel full of God, and I'd see someone who needs prayer, or I'd see someone, and God would give me a word of knowledge, or, or, or something. And, and so often, I'd still do it sometimes. Like, I wouldn't completely snuff my fire out. But there'd be so many times where I just, I wouldn't do anything because I'd say, well, I'm in a rush, or I've got to be here, or it's not the time I'm with these people at the moment. They're walking away. Like, I'd make any excuse. But my inaction became disobedience. And I was putting out my own fire and losing my intimacy with Christ as a result. We've got to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He didn't say that because he's a bully. He said that because it works. If I really love God, then I'm more in love with God than I'm in love with myself. Which means I'm going to step outside myself and obey God when it makes me uncomfortable. If I love God, I'm going to love that person enough to go and talk to them and not let that fear overcome me. And then when I obey God, that fear that I had is going to be that much smaller because I spat in its face. Come on. If we really want to mature in Christ, we've got to obey God, not just spend time with Him. If I don't learn to obey God, then I can spend all the time with Him in the world, but His revelations will never have a place to land in my soul, and I won't mature in Christ. So let's obey God in the small things. You know, sometimes I used to think God was really harsh on Moses because Moses struck the rock when he wasn't supposed to. And God said he couldn't enter the promised land because he was supposed to speak to the rock instead of strike it. But you know how close Moses was with God? The closer you are with God, the more you know better. The more time you spend with God, the more your understanding grows, the more your responsibility grows. Come on, you know what I'm saying? We all know this. Okay. 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not faith through fear. Or faith through disobedience. Faith through love. Because that's selfless faith. Come on, without, without what is it? Deeds, faith is dead? Is that how James said it? Faith without deeds is dead. <laughs> okay, come on. My Christ. You notice, actually I'm going to go back for a second. You notice, when I wrote that title, I wrote fear. I didn't write my fear. I wrote my dream and then my passion and then I just wrote fear. I didn't write my fear because it doesn't belong to me. Fear doesn't belong to you. You might feel it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It's not from God. If it's not from God, it doesn't belong to you. Fear is not your issue. I'm just going to say that. My Christ. He belongs to me. He belongs to you. And you belong to him. thought it was Micah that talked about Mephibosheth a few weeks ago, but it wasn't. It must have been someone at a conference or something. Who here has heard of Mephibosheth? <laughs> These two. Ruined. <laughs> Jonathan wanted to call his son Mephibosheth. Margot did not. Sorry, I just sold you out. I think it's a cool name, and I think Mephibosheth is a very cool Bible character. And <laughs> I really like Mephibosheth, and I'm like, Oh, he's the son of Jonathan, my favorite Bible character. <laughs> I didn't realize that until this week. I mean, I knew that before, but I never made the connection. Um, so Mephibosheth, his grandfather Saul, is the enemy of David. He's been trying to kill him for years. But David and John made, Jonathan made a covenant because they were best friends. They were like brothers. They said, doesn't matter what my dad does, we're going to show kindness to each other's descendants. Because you know, Jonathan knew that David was going to be king. When David becomes king, Saul's dead, his best friend Jonathan is dead. And he said, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And his servant said, yeah, Mephibosheth is out here in this little town called Lodabar. And uh, yeah, he's crippled. He's, he's lame in both feet. He's, he's the, the only living descendant of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan. And David's like, get him right now. So they went out, they got him, they brought him back. This all happens in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you ever want to go and read it. And like Mephibosheth, he's got a low self-esteem because he's nobody, and he lives in Lodabar, which is in like Rankin Springs. And I was about to say Yemba, but I used to live there. <laughs> used to bag on Yemba a lot. God humbles us. Um, maybe it'll make me move to Rankin Springs. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> Rankin Springs is great. Okay. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, he's living in Lodabar. He's a nobody. He can't walk. Someone's got to take care of him full time. Like, like his life is hard. And he's probably really afraid that David's going to kill him because Mephibosheth is the grandson of the king, the old king. And David is the new king who's not related. Like, how many people know that these things caused problems in ancient times? In fact, these things still cause problems today. And so he's probably in fear for his life. And he comes in before David and he says, what do you want like with a dead dog like me? And David says, relax, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you everything back that your father owned. You're going to have servants and you're going to sit at my table and eat with me like my sons. Whew. And whoever was saying that recently, who I was listening to, they said, we're Mephibosheth and David is Christ. Like, that's what God did for us. We're nothing. We were dead. And God just said all that to us. Like, how much do we have to be thankful for, you know? Like, I get to sit at the table with God like I'm his own son because I am his son now. And, you know, in uh, 2 Samuel 16, David's got to run away from town because his son starts a rebellion. And Ziba, the chief servant, who was set to, set to receive the inheritance of, of Jonathan and Saul until Mephibosheth came along, he tries to steal it. Mephibosheth. So he goes to David and he says that Mephibosheth has, you know, turned against him. And so David says, okay, Ziba, you can have the estate. You can have all the property. It's all yours. It can go to you and your, your children. <coughs> but then later on down, when David comes back to the city, we go to 2 Samuel chapter 19. Okay. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He 
He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did, not, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant, Ziba, deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame, I can't walk. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And so David said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Split it up. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Like, who knows that Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, gosh, and I'm saying it wrong because in Hebrew it probably sounds like, <laughs> How many people know that he loves the benefactor more than the benefits? Like, so I don't care about all that stuff that you gave me. You're here. That's what matters. That's all I care about. How cool is that? Do I love Jesus or the things he gives me? Do I love Jesus because he's going to see my dream fulfilled or, or because he solves all my problems? Or do I love Jesus because he deserves it and he's worthy? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I had to think about it for a while. What's the difference between a passion and an addiction? Because I've been addicted to things. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to evangelism. They're two very different things right there. <laughs> so you can be addicted to good things and bad things. You can be addicted to Jesus as well. And I mean that in the wrong way. You can be addicted to Jesus and you shouldn't be. What's the difference between a passion and an addiction? An addiction is a compulsive behavior. It's something you feel like you need to do because you just need to satisfy your feeling, your craving. Jesus isn't my addiction. When my whole world is falling apart and I run to Jesus to say, I need your peace, make me feel better. No, when the devil lies to me, I need to learn to stand on God's truth. That's what it's an opportunity for. It's not actually a bad thing when the devil lies to you or causes trouble in your life. It's an opportunity for you to have faith in God and say, Lord, it says this in your word. This is who I am. I'm not worthless. I'm a child of God. You made me valuable. That's how we need to view the things we go through. But we run to God and we say, Lord, I need you to make me feel better. That's trying to put my faith into how I feel. You're not doing how you feel. So Jesus isn't my addiction. He does make me feel better. But that's not what I'm looking for. He's my passion because he deserves my love. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of me giving every bit that I can give to him. I mean, he gave it to me to begin with. I, it doesn't belong to me. My breath doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. I want to give it to him. Your passion is what you invest in, not what makes you feel better. It's what you pour yourself into because you believe in it. Are you with me? Come on. So your dream isn't about you. This is I don't want this to be a feel-good message. It's not an about me message. It's not an about you message. This is about Jesus Christ being glorified. How are you going to bring glory to God? Because that's the reason he saved us. Let's bring glory to God. So what's your dream? If you don't have a dream, you need one. If you don't want one, well then you're robbing God of glory. Come on, what are you passionate about? Don't rob God of glory. Become passionate about something. Don't coast through life. Devote your passion to God. Devote your dream to God. Doesn't need to all be about you, just be a spark. Just get things going. If you know, if, if you need to do more than that, if you need to put people in the right place, etc. etc. I mean God will God will help you do all that stuff. But it's about God and it loves people as well. Let's pray. Hey?
These are still restoring dreams as we speak. There's some dreams in here that it, it, it's sort of still there in your mind, but it's like it seems unattainable. Now, my friend, trust God in the process of shaping your character and honing your ability. And we learn to obey God in the small things. Because when it comes time for that big thing to come along, we're ready for it because we've been trained in our character and our ability. Jesus, restore dreams right now. Lord, there's, like I get a picture of, you know, tools in the shed that seem dry and, and rusty and, and like they've been left outside in, in the dirt. And that might be how some people feel. But God is restoring oil to your, your passion and your dream right now. I can see it. God is restoring oil to it right now. He's, he's scrubbing off all the, all the rust from it right now. And, he, and, he, and he's oiling it. He's, he's making it like it's brand new. He's restoring it. This is, this is not your dream. This is God's. He put it there. It belongs to him. Sometimes we feel a little dry in our passion. No, God is... God is restoring your joy in it right now because the reason it feels dry is because you've lost sight of who you're doing it for. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for Jesus. Lord, thank you for restoring us right now. Holy Spirit, breathe on all of our hearts. Lord, if we don't have a dream, if we haven't seen it yet, if we don't know what it is, Reveal it to us this week. Help us to sit down with you and ask you the question. And Lord, would you speak? Would you bring pictures into the mind? Would you bring visions? Would you bring actual dreams while we're asleep? Would you speak to us in the word and hit us with a holy punch in the chest when we read something that you want us to do? Thank you, Father, for stirring our faith. Thank you, Lord, that the trials of this world are not mighty mountains that we have to overcome to see something fulfilled, but that it's by faith, not by our might. For the strength of horses you do not delight in. Oh, Jesus, have your way in every person here. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Help us to be a people of faith in Jesus' name, not a people of feelings. Jesus, help us to step out. Help us to, as we spend more time with you, help us to obey you accordingly. Speak to us and change us into your image more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, everyone. God bless you all.